Number 301 will be the invitation song after our lesson this morning. What a beautiful morning it is. What a beautiful week we've had. The weather is just outstanding and uh, not typical for July in central Arkansas. And I'm for one, I for one am thankful for that. Uh, tonight, Lord willing, um, we're going to be giving, I'm going to be giving the report from my journey to Africa. And so I'd like to encourage and invite everyone to, to come back tonight, please, and, and listen to what all went on, that uh, the work there that, that, that has been done to this point and is continuing is extremely encouraging to me, and I would like to share that with all of you this afternoon, this evening. So tonight, that's what we're going to be doing. This morning, we're going to be going to the book of Luke to begin with, Luke chapter 9, the scripture reading that was read in your hearing just a few moments ago, verses 23 through 26, is going to be our jumping off point for our study. So Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. We do have visitors with us this morning. We are especially thankful for your presence. Uh, we have a lot of our own people out. We have Hal and Carol who are traveling. They're out of state. We have the Linkus, as Jeff is the lone representative this morning of the Linkus family, looks like. Um, Jordan fell last night or broke her ankle. So Missy's at home with her, and so um, going to be going to the doctor, I guess, tomorrow and seeing what, how extensive it is, but keep them in your prayers. We have others who are out sick and traveling and not with us this morning. We miss you when you're gone. Uh, and uh, we are glad to see you when you're here. The Wilsons also aren't here this morning. I, I guess Cameron is working, so uh, keep them in your prayers as well. All right, Luke chapter 9 is where we will begin our study. Believing no matter the cost. Believing no matter the cost. Jesus says, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. This same uh, concept, principle, is established in Matthew 16, 24 through 27, and also Mark 8, 34 through 38. The sad news, the bad news about humanity historically and even during the days of Jesus Christ and the going forth of the gospel, beginning in Acts chapter 2, in which the gospel of salvation was preached to all men, that you can be saved from your sins and you, you can have a hope of glory with God for eternity. That message, as it was preached, was rejected by many. And if you're just thinking about it from a perspective of weighing out the, the value of the things that are offered in the gospel with the value of the things that are offered in this world. I mean, if a person was true to himself and, and true to the evidence that is presented 
and accepts that evidence, how in the world would anyone, anyone, how would they reject the gospel? Why would they reject the gospel? When you compare the two honestly, but yet many rejected it. Many reject it today because they truly fail to consider the value of what is offered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts the fifth chapter, we find a couple of individuals who had conspired together to withhold some money that they had, had gained and received from some land that they sold. And they gave what they did, saying that this is all the money that we had. They wanted to look good before men. We need to remember something. It's not what men know about us or what men think about us that's of importance. It's what God knows about us, and he knows the truth. He does know our hearts. Ananias and Sapphira was not willing to pay the price and that they refused to be honest. They valued the opinion of men more than they valued the opinion of God and their faithfulness to God. And it cost them their life. They sold their souls for a little bit of money. The Jewish council who stoned Stephen to death in Acts the 6th chapter verses 8 through 60 heard Stephen preaching the history of their people. They had to have agreed with the things that he said. That is regarding Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. They had to agree with the historical record. It was the truth. But when he came to the application of that to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the one to whom all the prophets foresaw. When he came to Jesus Christ, they became angry. When they heard the gospel, they rejected it. And then Stephen's response to them, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You're just like your fathers who resisted the Holy Spirit. They have rejected the gospel, and they stoned Stephen to death. The Jews who plotted to kill Paul, Paul was converted. We read of that in Acts the ninth chapter. He becomes a child of God by faith, and he is, as he is taught the truth, he's baptized into Christ in Acts chapter 9. As you go through that text, what you find then is he goes to Damascus in Syria, and and he begins to preach. And as he begins to preach, he is persecuted. In fact, it says in verse 23, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket outside the city walls. Paul was persecuted because he believed in Jesus Christ. They plotted to kill him. In fact, in Acts the 23rd chapter, when Paul returns to Jerusalem after he had completed his journey into Macedonia and Greece, he comes back to Jerusalem. He's warned that the Jews are going to, going to imprison him. But he goes to Jerusalem anyway. And there he is caught 
outside the temple, or drug outside the temple, and he is arrested, and they accuse him of sedition. They accuse him of, of false teaching and teaching against the law and against Moses and against the temple. And in the process, there were some men who determined they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. They swore a vow. That's how intent they were on killing their enemy, the Apostle Paul. They were not willing to... Why were they not willing to accept the gospel? The Jews who opposed the gospel followed Paul everywhere he went throughout the book of Acts. And they, they did everything they could to persecute him, to hinder his efforts, and to destroy the church. Even those who accepted Jesus in principle, they accepted the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But yet they still taught that the Gentiles had to obey the law in order to be saved. And the Jews too, for that matter. The Gentiles had to be circumcised. They had to become like a Jew. These were Judaizing teachers who were professing to be followers of Jesus Christ who went throughout Asia. And they were teaching these errors. And the Apostle Paul opposed them in Galatians chapter 2, he speaks of that. He opposes them in Acts the 15th chapter. And that also was a thorn in Paul's side, if you will. It was something that Paul continually was persecuted over. He was, he was accused of not even being an apostle of Jesus Christ. In Acts the 16th chapter, the apostle Paul goes into Philippi. Him and his company... Uh, Silas, they're together and they're preaching the gospel and there were these false teachers there, one in particular who had this demonically possessed girl that they were using to make money off of. And when Paul healed her, they began to make false accusations against Paul and had him thrown into prison. Him and Silas were in the stocks in prison. You had those in Athens in Acts the 17th chapter. Most of those in Athens rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were a few who did accept it, but most they were given to their idolatry. They were not willing to give that up. In 1 Corinthians, you see the Jews, the Apostle Paul has all kinds of issues that he's dealing with in that epistle. But the Jews there were fighting against him. From the very beginning in Acts the 18th chapter, when the gospel first went to Corinth, Paul was persecuted there. They rejected the gospel. And so Paul says he's leaving them and he's going to the Gentiles. That made them even madder. In the second Corinthian epistle, the apostle Paul is accused there of not being an apostle. Demetrius and the idolaters in Ephesus falsely accused Paul and others. They caused a riot in Acts the 19th chapter, verses 24 through 34. But we see all of these examples of people who resisted the gospel, rejecting the gospel, and persecuted those who preached the gospel. In Acts the 24th chapter, we see Felix, who heard the gospel preached to him after Paul had reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. You see, Felix got the point. I am condemned before God. He was afraid. 
And then his response to the gospel was, Go away for now when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. The time was not convenient right then for Felix to make the sacrifice necessary. We have the example of Agrippa in Acts 26 chapter. Paul tells Agrippa, I know you know the law and the prophets. I know you believe the law and the prophets. And verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost you persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains. King Agrippa, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. But what's the hold up here? With Felix and Agrippa and all the others, and we could go on and on and on and look at people who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did they reject it? Well, there are a variety of reasons why people reject the truth. But it really is going to all boil down to this one thing. They were not willing to pay the price. They were not willing to do what was necessary. Because, listen, becoming a Christian costs you. And it doesn't cost you just a little bit. It costs you everything you have. I'm not going to try to, to flatter you to become a Christian and, and tell you how wonderful being a Christian is. It is wonderful, by the way, because you have the peace and the joy and, and understanding that comes with salvation, the promises and the hope of God, of heaven. You, you see things for the first time as they really are, that this world is just temporary and we're all pilgrims here. We're just passing through. We're heading to a home, a hope that is forever and ever. That's where we're going. And we see things as they really are. As Annie said in Bible class this morning, and one of somebody who said to her, they were saying it to ridicule her, telling her that she had become brainwashed when she became a Christian. The reality is, yes, we have. Our brains have been washed our brains have been cleansed and purified from the evils and the sinfulness of the world and the error that is existing in the world. We have come to know the truth. Why would anyone who believes the gospel, they see the end result, why would they reject the gospel? Many were not willing to change their religion because that would cost them more than they were willing to pay. They would not change their religion. They wanted to hold on to their Judaism. They wanted to hold on to their idolatry. They would not change their religion. Many were not willing to choose Jesus over their family and their friends. They were not willing to make that sacrifice as Jesus said, he came to set, his, set, set the mother against the daughter, the father against the son. He came to bring a sword that would divide families because people would adhere to the truth and it would cost them their loved ones. But many were not willing to choose Jesus over their family and friends. Many were not willing to suffer financial hardship. They were not willing to truly sacrifice their lives and their material things for the benefit and for the well-being of the Lord and His church, His people, and for their own salvation. Many loved money more than their soul. 
Many were not willing to suffer persecution. They saw that the church was persecuted. That all who followed and preached Jesus Christ were persecuted. They saw that. And so they said, I don't want any of that. They had rather enjoy life with their friends and the life of sin temporarily and forfeit eternal life with God. Many were not willing to give up their sin. They just enjoyed their sin too much. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, those who do not receive a love for the truth, why? Because they loved their sin. You think of all of those reasons. People are not willing to pay the price. Let me share with you how those who were willing to pay the price thought about that price and thought about the promises that God had given them. Many were indeed willing to pay that price. Going back in the book of Acts to the 16th chapter, the Apostle Paul, remember, was in prison in verses 25 down through verse 34. Paul and Silas are in prison. Uh, this is not like a jail cell in the United States, by the way. This was not a place where they could sleep and have comfort, you know, and, and, and have three square meals a day, watch television. Uh, it wasn't anything like our justice system. They were in a dungeon. You imagine the wet, the mold. You can imagine the darkness. You can imagine the rats and the stench. You can imagine they are sitting in their own blood because they had both been beaten. They're in shackles, both hands and feet, unable to move. Imagine that. Here they are in that dungeon, but what are they doing? They're singing and they're praying. They're singing praises to God. Now, undoubtedly, well, we know that those in the jail heard them. Undoubtedly, so did this Philippian jailer, the man who was over the prison. Undoubtedly, he heard them. Well, there was an earthquake, and the shackles fell off their feet. The doors of the prison flung open, and the jailer awoke from a sleep, and he was about to kill himself because he had thought all of the prisoners had fled, and he was going to be put to death. So he was going to take his own life. And, of course, the cry comes out from inside the jail, Do yourself no harm. We are all still here. So the jailer comes in, falls before Paul and Silas. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This man learned something of the gospel while outside the jail cells, being a keeper of the prison, he heard and learned from Paul and Silas as they were in prison. Now, don't you know good and well that that jailer understood that if you know, you're going to be a Christian like Paul and Silas. You're going to be a sufferer. <laughs> you're going to be thrown in prison. You're going to be mistreated. But yet, look at how these men are responding to this. Paul and Silas apparently valued their Christianity. They valued their faith in Christ and were not willing to give it up for anything. And this man heard them singing and ask what he must do to be saved so they take him to his house they tell him believe on the lord jesus christ you and your house and you'll be saved 
So they take him to his house. They teach him the gospel. And the moment that he hears the gospel, he and his family are baptized into Christ. Turn over with me to the book of Philippians. It wasn't just the jailer himself, by the way. The church in Philippi was aware of persecution. They knew that Paul had been persecuted and continued to be persecuted. They saw it with their own eyes. And they were those, uh, a congregation that was helpful to the Apostle Paul in his journey. They sent him funds to help support him in his efforts. In the first chapter, in chapter verses 3 through 8, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day in, until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it, just as it is right for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace." For, my, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, they were faithful to the Lord. This was a strong, sound congregation. But something else, look at verses 12 through 14. I'm just going to keep on going here. It says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That is his imprisonment, his current imprisonment in Rome. He's saying that it turned out for the better, the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains. What was the effect? What was the effect of Paul being in chains to the brethren? For the brethren. Their confidence was increased. And it says are, that are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Oh, they recognized, they knew that they could be thrown in prison like Paul. But that didn't stop them. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add to my affliction, add affliction to my chains. The latter out of love. But Paul was just glad that the gospel was preached. And the gospel being preached also caused others to look at him and, and grow confidence from his efforts. You go on in chapter 2. Um, Verses 27 and following. And the Apostle Paul emphasizes there that, you know, sorrow and the hardship that he faced and the work that he was doing was encouraging. And, and it was the proof of their love. In chapter 1, verse 27, only let your confidence, your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your faith. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Look at verse 29 especially. Verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, 
but also to suffer for his sake. Paul was not the only one suffering. They were all suffering. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. They also suffered for the cause of Christ. Why would they do that? Because they recognized the value of being a child of God. They recognized the value of heaven over the value of things in this world. In 2 Timothy 3.12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, as we talked about in our Bible class this morning. Matthew 5.11 and 12, Jesus promises the apostles that they would suffer. In 2 Thessalonians 1.6-12, those who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of his glory and from his power. And this was all going to happen when Jesus came to be glorified in his saints. Those who persecute the people of God will one day face the vengeance of the Lord. But those who persevere and are enduring in faith, they will receive glory. In Athens, in fact, going back to the book of Acts, if you just kind of turn over to Acts the 17th chapter, you find all of these idolaters. Paul comes into Athens and he finds a city wholly given over to idolatry, wholly given over to the philosophies of men. And so as he's going through the city, he sees this. They, the people of Athens, he describes them this way in verse 21, for all the Athenians and uh, foreigners who were there spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or, or to hear some new thing. They were not interested in truth. They were just interested in learning more and adding to their already gained philosophies. In Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10, Paul warns of the philosophies of men, vain deceit. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul warns of those false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and how they had turned people away from the truth, made shipwreck of their faith because they taught that the resurrection has passed already. We've got some of those folks today going around saying the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul was so thankful for the church in Thessalonica. For they had gone everywhere preaching the word, verse 8 says. In verses 9 and 10, they had turned away from their idols to serve the living God. They counted the cost. Many were willing to count the cost. Those in Athens, there were some in Athens who were willing to count the cost. Some believe, verse 34 tells us. You get into Corinth, and in spite of all the immorality that was there in Corinth, and all of the opposition to the gospel that existed in Corinth, there was still a great many who believed the Lord, who believed in the truth and obeyed it, and were faithful. Despite the immorality that existed, despite the opposition to the gospel, they overcame that. And they were faithful to the Lord. They were instructed by the Apostle Paul to come out from the world and be holy. We must be holy. The Corinthians, there were those who were willing to do that. They counted the cost. 
you know that you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. He talks about all the sin, sins that existed there in Corinth. And, of course, they exist everywhere else as well. But he talks about adultery and fornication. He talks about homosexuality. And all these things, Paul points out that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortion, extortioners. These will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this is the community in which these brethren lived. But one of the things Paul says in verse 11 kind of stands out to me. He says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. You know what? Homosexuals can be saved. They can come out of their thinking. They can turn away from their sin. And they can obey Jesus Christ and turn away from homosexuality. I don't care what sin a person is overcome by. That a person can overcome that sin through Christ. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you currently are doing in your life, whether it's adultery, you're in an adulterous marriage, whether you are in uh, a relationship where fornication is taking place, whether it's homosexual, you can come out of that. These brethren did. Such were some of you. You know how they did that? They counted the cost. They considered the price they had to pay to remain in sin, keeping their company, their friends, and acceptance of the world, or the price they had to pay to be a Christian, which was to give all that up. They considered that price. And why would they consider the price that they had to pay to be a Christian greater than to be in the world? They considered the value of what they were gaining, eternal life on one hand, but eternal condemnation on the other. You consider it from that perspective. My friend, there is no sin that you can engage in, none, that is worth your soul. And you, for eternity, if you do not repent, turn away from that sin, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him by faith, if you don't do that for eternity, those of you who are present this morning, you're hearing my voice, you're hearing the truth of the matter, you have heard it. You will regret for all eternity not turning from that sin, whatever it is. But I want to say to you this morning, you can turn away from that. You can turn away from whatever has got you bound this morning. Just like the Corinthians did. Such were some of you. But you were wise. You were sanctified. You were justified. Many in Ephesus believed, fearing the Lord, confessed their deeds, repented. They sold well, they didn't sell, did they? They did not sell their books and get money out. What did they do with those witchcraft books? What did they do with them? They set them on fire. There's a good book burning for you. In Acts, in the, eight, in the 19th chapter, verses 18 through 20, they set all of this on fire. Why? So that they could be faithful to the Lord. Acts 19, 18 through 20. There we read these words. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They didn't do it in the secret place. They did it in the sight of everybody. 
And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, we don't know what kind of silver coins they were. The Scripture just says pieces of silver. But 50,000, that's got to be quite a bit of money. And so, even at great financial cost, these brethren sold, uh, burned their books. Complete loss. Unlike the rich young ruler of Luke 18. When he heard the Lord, when he said, go and sell everything that you have, give to the poor. The young man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. That young man made an evaluation of the cost of following Jesus. And he determined that it wasn't worth it. He'd rather have his money. The Ephesians made a calculation similar and they went and burned their books because they wanted to be faithful to the Lord. They too made an evaluation. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul talks about the dangers of the love for money. Listen, again, it's not the money itself that is sinful, but it is the love of money. But here's the problem. Anyone who craves money, well, they got a problem with their love for money. And money can be deceptive. We need to learn the lesson that the Apostle Paul is teaching us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And that godliness with contentment is great gain. And we need to learn to use what we have to the glory of God. Those who desire to be rich, he says in verse 9, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 again. Be content with what we have. In Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus puts it this way. If a man should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what is he profited? There's that evaluation. You compare losing your soul for all the money in the world to saving your soul by following Jesus. What are we willing to pay? And finally, the example of the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to just breeze through this. We, we're familiar with this and we're familiar with Paul's story. We know that from the very beginning, when he decided to follow Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9, that began a series of persecutions that he would experience as he followed Christ, as he preached the gospel. He risked his life from the very beginning. Preaching the gospel for Paul was very dangerous. In Damascus, he had to be led down, let down by, you know, in that basket. He mentions that also in 1 Corinthians 11, 32 and 33. In Jerusalem, Acts 9, 29, he was persecuted. They rejected him. He had to flee Jerusalem. In Iconium, as he's preaching in the first journey that he made with Barnabas, comes to Iconium and they try to stone him to death. He flees. He gets to Lystra, he preaches there, the very next city, and they do stone him and leave him for dead. 
This continued for Paul. Wherever he went, he was imprisoned several times. He was imprisoned in Philippi. Later, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He was held in, the cha- in chains there. Then he was transferred to Caesarea for his own safety, Caesarea Philippi. And there, he was held for years. And then he was taken to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. Because the Jews had plotted to kill him. They wanted to hear, have a hearing on his case in Jerusalem. And Festus was considering taking him down to Jerusalem and having that hearing. And Paul knew that if that happened, he was a dead man because the Jews plotted to kill him. So he appeals to Caesar and he goes to Rome. Many were willing to pay the price, but I tell you, none paid a price as high as Paul. We think that, but I suspect many others have paid a similar price. Paul says of himself in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22, In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep and journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my concern for all the churches. Paul prayed the price. Here you have a man who truly valued the promises of God. He looked for that hope. He anticipated it. In Acts the 24th chapter, as he's standing before Felix, this is what he says. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept. He's talking about the resurrection. He was looking forward to being raised from the dead and being with Christ, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now see, Paul knew something else about the resurrection, that not only were the righteous going to be resurrected, but so were the wicked. And the wicked were going to, as Jesus says in John 5, 28 and 29, they were going to be resurrected to eternal condemnation. Whereas the righteous were going to be resurrected to eternal glory, to eternal life. So in verse 16, he says, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. That kept Paul in line. He trusted the Lord fully. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, Paul says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now when he says these things I have counted as loss for Christ. His pedigree. He was a rising star in Judaism. On his way up the ladder on the Sanhedrin court. 
He was a popular fellow, well-educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, well-respected in the Jewish community. He had a, a security blanket. Financially, he was secure because of his position and his pedigree and his education. He was socially secure because he fit in with everybody else. He gave all that up. He gave all that up and was persecuted on top of that. That he may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is by the law or from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That is, he has been forgiven of his sins, and he was now in fellowship with God, and a child of God by faith in Christ. He was a recipient of the blessings and promises. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I'm suffering too. If by any means, not by some means, but by any means, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. How valuable did Paul esteem the resurrection from the dead? What was he willing to pay? Everything. Anything. You know what, my friend, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. When he says that if anyone follows me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the point. Many are not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to change their religion like Paul and like many others who exchange their false religion, their profitless religion, their vain religion for true religion in Christ. Many are not willing to choose Jesus over family and friends. They make their choice. They don't value heaven enough, do they? Many are not willing to suffer financial hardship. I met five men in Africa. All five of them left the institutional controlled preacher training schools in Africa. Four of them in Kisi, Kenya, and one in Moshi, Tanzania. All five of these men walked away from financially secure positions. They walked away from church, their church buildings being built by institutional brethren. They walked away from support from American brethren through the missionary societies. They walked away from the institutionally controlled preacher school. Wilson... Matai lost his job as a teacher at the school because he took a stand for the truth. He doesn't have the support from the brethren there to barely feed his family. But yet he walked away. People are still willing to make the financial sacrifices necessary to gain heaven. Many are not willing to suffer persecution. Many are not willing to give up their sin. What about you? 
We have example after example in the New Testament. Those in Philippi. There were even a few in Athens and Corinth and Ephesus. They heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. They obeyed the gospel. And they suffered because of it. They gave everything to gain heaven. Like Paul. Gave it all. Gave it all away. So that he could be with the Lord for eternity. Now when you really think about it like that. You evaluate eternal life with God compared with eternal condemnation separate from God. That's really not a hard choice, is it? If you look at it that way, it shouldn't be a hard choice. But for many it is because they don't have enough faith in the Lord. And they have too much of a love for the things of this world. My prayer is that you, my friend, will truly evaluate what's important to you and you will accept those things that can never be taken from you. The things of God, the things of heaven. If you're here this morning, you need to be baptized into Christ and get your life set on that journey to heaven. You need to do that. Make a wise investment. If there's sin in your life that you need to turn away from, do it. You need to count the cost. You know, Jesus even made that point that we need to count the cost. Will you do that this morning? We can help you in any way. Won't you come while we stand? While we stand.